All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Now What podcast. I'm your host, Emma Diarcy, and today we have a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> I'm Chloe Williams. Uh, I go by she, her. I'm 24, and I live in New York City. Amazing. And so Chloe is a really talented writer. She posts her content on TikTok and Instagram. Um, so do you want to first like plug your Instagram or your accounts if you want to? You can also do it at the end. Of course. Um, I go by Chloe and letters like across all spheres of the internet. So uh, Instagram, TikTok, my website and my Substack. Awesome. Cool. And so today we're going to be talking about writing, which is cool. I love to write. You obviously love to write. And <laughs> we're going to be talking about tapping into your creative potential, um, you know, getting through writer's block, uh, getting freelance work, just all of the very fun uh, little ins and outs of uh, writing as a hobby and a career. So um we're going to start off by talking about the song of the week because I have been listening to a lot of music recently and I think it's fun. I like I like to know everyone's like songs that they've been listening to. Um, I think my song of the week will be Seven Things by Miley Cyrus because it's an incredible <laughs> song and it's just been on It's repeat. a classic. Yeah, it's just like an instant pick-me-up. And so especially in the middle of finals, I'm like, Seven Things by Miley Cyrus four times in a row let's go um, yeah but what's yours mine is I love to love by Tina Charles I feel like it's very like I would say like funky and just like super fun and I love to um dance to it and because it's essentially like this woman's talking about the person that she's with and she wants to like she's saying I love to love but my baby loves to dance and so they talk she talks about like going downtown and going dancing but then sometimes they stay at home and it's just like such a fun song I feel like I love dancing around I feel like it puts me in a really good mood oh, nice I gotta go check it out I haven't heard of the artist or the song so I'm definitely gonna go check that out um <laughs> my other other shameless uh song of the week though I feel like all day I've been listening to Mirror Ball by Taylor Swift <laughs> so good uh, we'll we'll really talk is. we'll talk later about the all too well short film, but like wow, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I could talk hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next episode. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think let's just get into the questions. Let's just get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, do you have a moment that stands out to you as like the moment that you fell in love with writing? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I've been writing since I was in middle school. So like for a really long time. And even before then, like my elementary school had a poetry unit and it was like my favorite thing to look look forward to all year. I loved it. But I think like I went through a period in college where I didn't write at all. And that's super alley ordinary for me. I feel like it's where I feel really connected to myself. Um, but I was in a phase of like being really homesick and like struggling with my mental health and like moving out of home, away from home. And I just couldn't write at all. I got a brand new journal for college and I could not write at all. Um, so I ended up, uh, I was in the midst of transferring from Marymount Manhattan college to go to Hunter college because Marymount at the time, um, that I was applying, they didn't have a creative writing program uh, or a degree. Um, and it sucks because I mean, I, I, don't think the school is the right fit for me, but they did end up adding it. So I left right the semester that they added it as a major. But I was in um, I was in a uh, intro to creative writing course uh, with the head of the creative writing department, and he was so amazing. One of my favorite professors, honestly. He made the class really fun, and it was you know it was one of those things where you know sometimes like when you get tested on like reading, I feel like in most of my courses it's like they kind of just just honor code it. And they're like, if you talk in class, I know you've read, if you don't, then I kind of get the idea, but he would like quiz us on it, but he made it so fun. And we were reading all these books and we had to put together a portfolio. And I remember it was like at the end of the semester that we turned in this portfolio and I had already committed to going to Hunter college. And I got an email from him and he was like, saying essentially, you know, I, I noticed you weren't signed up for any classes. I, I hope you'll stick with it. And it broke my heart. Like, mm. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm leaving. And I had to tell him I was leaving. And so I went to the final class. I was really sad. Uh, and I, 
you were allowed to share a piece of your work. And I read a piece of nonfiction, creative nonfiction. And I remember I finished the, I finished like reading the whole thing and the room just like let out this really big sigh. Like everybody at the same time was like, (sighs) and I remember it was the first time I really understood like the command that you can take with writing and the way that you can connect with people and just like bring people in that way. And that feeling of like having everybody just like, it was like when you're reading, you know, you're in your own world and, you know, I'm like kind of nervous because I'm reading my own work. And then you realize like, wow, I had everybody's attention for that long. And it got really quiet. And I looked at my professor and he was thinking for a minute and he goes, it just sucks to see such talent walking out the front door. And that was the first time anybody ever described me as talented, not like she's a good writer. It was like talent, which I feel like mm-hmm. is so rare. And it was such a beautiful moment. And I just, I remember like from that moment on, like I was fiercely writing, like I, I couldn't get enough of it. He really introduced me to memoir and like what I loved about it. Um, and so I always appreciate that, like that passing comment and just the way that I felt like someone really wanted me to keep going. That is so beautiful. I like got yeah. chills when you were saying it. Like that's just so <laughs> like, that's really powerful and moving. Um, mm-hmm. And like, so you talked about writing through your formative years and middle school through like throughout until college. Um, how do you think that writing through those formative years changed your perception of yourself and the world around you? Cause you speak a lot about like the connection that you have through other, to other people and yourself through writing. But if you can speak more on that. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel writing has given me like a really deep connection and understanding of uh, myself. And I think that comes from in some ways, like when you sit down and you write about yourself, like you have to really look and that's like such a terrifying thing to do for people like to really see yourself. But I see myself now with just so much love and uh, like, like appreciation. And like, I spent a lot of my like early twenties really afraid of who I was in a way. Like I had a lot of confidence, but at the same time, there's like that, there's that fun of, of like overcompensating the confidence for a feeling of worth. And I think like, for example, like I was really like, it was like little things. Like I read, like, (laughs) I just read this really, really bad romance novel. Um, and it's like in it, like it's first of all, super erotic and in it, in the middle of it, a ghost shows up, which I wasn't expecting. Natural. Yeah. (laughs) Natural, the the usual like romance story, but, um, it's like totally normal when a ghost shows up and, it was so fun and I loved it. And I told all my friends about it and I'm like reading it. And I think like there was a point in my life where I was so like disconnected from myself that, and like, so kind of like ashamed that I didn't see myself with a lot of love and I would have never admitted that in real life. Like I would have never told anyone and I wouldn't have even let myself enjoy it in the way that I enjoyed it when I read it this time. Um, But then I was also like big things too. Like I was afraid to like really let myself be, complex and contradictory uh like you know the emotions that are just like don't make sense like I really wanted to I I I think I really made myself two-dimensional and through writing I feel like at first when I was writing myself on the page because I do creative nonfiction you have to be honest like that's like just point blank you can't you know bullshit so I was letting myself be really complex on the page and then also being really afraid in real life so in some ways it was a little dishonest but it was a way for me to like, really, I think like allow a certain kind of progress. And I think it was like, I I feel like I, I, in like real life, I was like afraid to be angry. And, but like, I could say like when I was writing, I was mad, but like, I wouldn't let myself outwardly be angry. Like I would feel it, but I would just like go home and be like, okay, I can't do this. And I think I really like allowed like writing and like really like some introspection and really taking myself in and working on myself and self-reflecting it's a really tricky journey and I'm definitely not all the way through, but there's progress, <laughs> but I think I let myself now really exist, uh, like in walking life, the way that I let myself exist on the page. And I think from that, it's a lot, it's the same is kind of true for, you know, people you meet, like no one's all the way bad. Like you have to like, you know, write with compassion and not, I mean, obviously not everyone, like, it's not like you have necessarily to forgive, but you have to understand that like, not everybody is like, you know, just a straight up villain, like, cause we're real people. So 
I think like I'm always writing in my head. And so when someone hurts my feelings, I usually am like already offering them this like complex existence. Like I wish people like would give me. Mm-hmm. And then like, I think, I think like just, I've realized like despite my best efforts, you know, or your best efforts, people tend to, you know, they do stupid stuff. They like, do shady things. And it doesn't mean they're, you know, there's like a horde of other reasons why they did it. And like, I'll never know why. And you explore that in writing, you explore the fact that you don't know and like, you don't understand why people do stuff and it still hurts your feelings. Um, And everyone's just doing their best. So I think by sitting down and writing, I've allowed there to be a complexity with the world and myself that like, says, you know, sometimes people, they try their best and their best isn't very good. And that's totally fine. And it doesn't mean that I can, my feelings hurt, but I feel like it lets me see the world in a much gentler way. And I feel like, I mean, of course there's bad people in the world, but I think there's more good people than we give credit for. And I really love life for that reason. Like I really love being around people and writing has just allowed me to, to be very forgiving, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think like for me, because I totally relate to what you're saying about like, writing has helped you become gentler to yourself as well um because mm. when I started writing like I loved writing essays in school like I think uh it's a lot easier for me to write things than say things sometimes and like yeah. especially in high school I was very very shy and anxious and I wasn't getting any help for my anxiety and so um I just didn't say much like in school and so like writing was really a way for me to like show myself to my teachers and show myself to myself um but when I got to college like my freshman year was a like awful it was so so bad like and so that's when I started like picking up creative writing and like writing for myself um and it really does it does a number on yourself like it just yeah um like yeah looking back I could see that I was like not in the best place but also like I remember how I was feeling when I was writing those and like sometimes it didn't add up on the paper you know and so I think what's interesting about like um maybe like you know saying one thing on the page and like not like acting another way in person because I feel like that's what I always struggle with writing um oh no uh and then because yeah, I feel like, oh, I'm lying to myself and everyone who's reading this, like, it's just so, yeah. <laughs> like, a very, a very complicated, like, situation, but, um, yeah, that's really lovely. Yeah, definitely, um, I think, I feel like one of the really nice things about writing is, like, you, it's not, like I said, you don't have to necessarily forgive, but you have to, like, you have to really kind of accept what's happened, almost, because it's, mm-hmm. like, you're writing what's true, and, I feel like, um, like I said, I, I would never tell someone they have to forgive people in their like writing or whatever, but like, I feel like it's easier for me to forgive now because I don't, like, and I don't, it's not like that person's a bad person. They treat me badly because I deserve it. It's like, okay, there's a lot of other factors. And I think writing has really like opened my eyes to that. And I really like, that's what I really love. I feel very, I feel very connected to people in that way. Totally. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So I will sort of skip around a little bit, but uh, <laughs> how do you, because um, I think like, you know, I love to write and uh, I think I've been lying to myself because I was like, well, no, I can't write as a, like a career or whatever. Like you're not good enough to write like professionally, Never. Forever. but like, <laughs> um, I think I am just like stopping myself from like tapping into that full creative potential, which I know that all of us are capable of, you know? So do you have any tips and like tapping into that and like accepting your creative potential? I think sometimes, uh, there's like a mistake that we make in, confusing uh creative potential with talent and I feel like creativity has become so so commodified that Mm -hmm. it seems like people are afraid to do something creative because they'll be bad at it or you know like they can't do anything with it and if you like a feeling like that like because you see like all these people like with this with social media like kind of like taking over and like everybody like putting their whole selves like on social media there's this feeling of like there's like a purpose for everything and it's it makes it difficult to like I think it makes it makes creativity a 
uh, like something with like, like a, I'm not sure that quite the word, but like, I think of creative creativity, like desire or like, uh, you know, like this, this, uh, like, like almost like I was, I kind of describe it like it's like sex almost like, um, which is kind of strange, but it's like, it's not like a, a trait that you have or you don't have. It's like, there's a place where, you know, you can, uh, go and it feels the most like resonant and, and safe. And you can kind of like go from there and figure out like what you like and what you can do and what, like, you know, how, how like the best scenario and the best like outcome for you. And, you know, sometimes it's not fun and it's bad. And like, if you're a good sport about it, you can, you know, fun, have fun and laugh and you can learn from it. And so I feel like really when it comes into tapping to creative potential, I think for a certain amount of time, you have to do it for just for yourself. I think if you're doing it to get good, um, rather than like nurturing that desire that you have to be creative, um, then I think it kind of, it's, it almost sells it short. Like you need to really like, just get used to that feeling of doing something just because you want to do it. And I feel like it's, it's really difficult and um, it's hard because like right now, like I said, we're in a time where there's like, where it's like such a commodity to be creative and people want to like sell their talents, but it's like, it's totally fine if you just do it on like to do something creative just because you want to do it. And I think people really struggle with that, that idea. Um, but on the other hand, like if it is something that you're like kind of afraid of and you've been doing it for a while, but you kind of want to jump into that feeling of like, okay, well now I want to like sell it. I want to do this. I want to commit to it. I think it's important that, that there's a feeling of like, when I think about like, I think people aren't afraid that they're bad at it, but they're more afraid of rejection in a way because rejection almost reflects back as being bad, but I've worked in like as a assisting editors um, for like independent magazines um, and half of the submissions you get aren't bad. They're just, they just don't fit. Like it's nothing about you. It's nothing about like the writing you're doing. I mean, rarely do people who are genuinely bad, do they submit anywhere because people are, who are talented are so afraid. So like, you can only imagine. Um, so for me, I'm just like, you know, when you get rejected, it's, it really never has anything, almost never has anything to do with you. So that's made me much more, much more willing to put myself out there because I know that I'm like, that I'm not, I don't want to sound like, you know, super whatever, but I, I know that I'm good. I know that I've put in all this work to get to where I'm at and that I'm worthy of, you know, putting my work out there and it doesn't have anything to do with me most of the time if my stuff doesn't get picked. Um, so I think really, letting go of those fears. And like, once you get that first rejection, I feel like you're from there on out, like you're kind of golden. You're like, okay, this really isn't that bad. Yeah. Like you, I, now I open a rejection email and I'm like, all right, whatever. And I, you know, the rest of your day goes on like, and of course there's those things that you really want that you don't get. And that's heartbreaking. But like, uh, on the other hand, like you just kind of, it's one of those things like exposure therapy. Like you just, you just have to take that leap of faith. And sometimes I'll submit stuff that I know isn't good. And and I know it's going to get rejected, but I'm like, well, I might as well submit it anyways, because I put all this work in and the deadlines here. So I think really tapping into that potential is really giving yourself space to like be on this like spectrum of like, you know, I can get, or like, like the, like the complexity of like, I can get rejected and it doesn't have anything to do with how good I am. It has like, you know, everything to do with, you know, does it fit for the publication? Uh, like, and then sometimes like, if it is actually your work, like sometimes it is for me. I'm like a strong enough writer that I'm like, I know that it wasn't my best and that's totally fine. I just submitted it so I could say that I did it. So tapping in, I think really comes down to be feel like really taking care of yourself. Like I said, like you have to nourish creative desire, but you also have to nourish like your feelings because sometimes a piece of yours gets rejected and it's really deeply personal because you're sharing something so vulnerable and that's totally fine. If your feelings are hurt, you know, give it, give it time, you know, step away from the piece and work on something else. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's totally, like, I mean, again, like, I can relate to, like, not wanting to do something because I know I'm not good at it already, you know, like, mm -hmm. I feel like that's such a good point of the commodification of, like, talent uh, or creativity in, like, especially now with social media, because, um, yeah, like, I've, two of my best friends have, like, thousands of followers on their Instagrams because they're incredible illustrators and I'm like well of course I'm not gonna get there like why would I even start <laughs> but I was like no I like it's something that I like to do and I think it's like 
tapping into like childlike creativity in a way because um you know in elementary school we weren't doing things to you know make money we were like you know yeah doing a craft because it was Wednesday afternoon you know and so I think like yeah I guess just like reconnecting with your inner child that way as well with like creativity and like redefining creativity I guess for yourself yeah it's it's so fun. I feel like, you know, like not everybody's meant to sell their stuff. Like I, um, my brother is an amazing illustrator and I remember growing up and always wanted to be so good at drawing. And I just am like, not good at drawing. Like, <laughs> and like, I cannot do perspective. I cannot do like, like people's, per, uh, uh, what's the word? Like I can't do, uh, like the right proportions on mm-hmm. people. Like yeah. one thing that I love to do is draw our cats that we have. And I draw them like super poorly. Like I have one right here. I don't know if you can see it. Cute. <laughs> it's like a little thing that I draw and I give them to my sister. And like, it's like, I don't do anything with that. It's just like, it's just like that child desire to draw a cat. Like it's right. so fun. And it like really, you know, like makes me feel like fulfills something in me that is like dying to be creative. And then it's not always like, I don't always want to write. So it's really just like so rewarding to get to a point where you're allowed, you allow yourself to be bad at something like embrace, like there's this essay called about embracing your mediocrity that was on repeller um, a couple of years ago. And like, that's how I, I remember reading that and be like, it was like life-changing. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be bad at something. And that's totally fine. Like it's still, it's just, just, I think doing something just cause it's fun. Like, I don't know, reading an erotic novel with a ghost in it. Like <laughs> that's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, talking about reading, um, uh, you, uh, it, it's clear that you read a lot of books and do you have any, I mean, like, you know, um, <laughs> do you have any books that you read, like, as you were getting into writing that really, like, made a big impact? Definitely. I definitely was a late bloomer when I learned about how much I liked writing, uh, admittedly, like this, but I dated a guy that really loved reading and it made me kind of embarrassed because I didn't. I didn't like read as much. I was getting into reading again. That's for mm-hmm. sure. But I wasn't like really doing anything, you know, I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't like an avid reader, like the way that I learned to love it now. And when I was, so around the time I was dating him, I, I read, um, Slouching Towards Bethlehem. I had just turned 21. And I remember there's this line that Joan Gideon says, uh, something about it, like reverberated or like the echo in the, in her inner ear. And I remember like, that was the first time I really understood the power of language to make the audience feel really understood because I understood exactly what she was saying. And I was like, this is amazing. And then there was a line like, um, in the, be- she repeats in the bend in the river where the cottonwoods grow. And I remember like, I re- I repeat a lot in my writing because like, obviously like there's like so many influences for me for like, for my work. Cause I've been, um, between getting the creative writing degree and reading all these people, you know, you, you like pick up stuff, whatever that you like. And I remember being like that, that's like such an amazing like sign. I think it was, it felt very lyrical. And I, I always get people confusing my nonfiction for poetry. They're like, I love this poem, but it's like a poograph, a poograph. That's actually a pretty good <laughs> mixture like, of words. It's a trade market <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> right when I get on here, uh, like uh, from like my like book I'm working on. And I'm like, it's not actually a poem, but thank you. Um, and so like, she's very like, she can be like lyrical and also associative. Like her paragraphs kind of like move around in a very interesting way. So that was like the first time I really understood like the like the use of syntax and diction. But then I read um, In the Dream House and Little Weirds. And then um, I know you mentioned it and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, she's still mine. <laughs> uh, but, um, and also uh, everything I know about love. And I really, at first my book was like this very much say like, here's, you know, one year of my life and here's it from start to finish. And after reading those, it really changed the way I wanted to tell the story because I didn't really like doing it that way. It was very uh, difficult. It like, it's hard to do stuff where there's like trauma and stuff with that kind of thing, because if you like skip a month or something or like, you know, people notice. So I went in now I like revamped this whole thing and I'm starting to do it in a much more creative way. So that really showed me the power that you have with creative nonfiction to tell a story the way you want to tell it. Like if it doesn't feel right, you know, you can do something really creative and um, like a uh, like a blending of like genre. And also Ross Gay's um, Book of Delights is also a really good example of that. And then there was one other book that, oh, right. Uh, uh, Tiny Beautiful Things and Wild by Cheryl Strayed really taught me the power of honesty. These are like a lot of book recommendations. I know that you're like one, but I'm like, well, I have quite a few. No, it's uh, great. 
I remember reading when I was 20, I read Tiny Beautiful Things. And then when I was 22, I read, read Wild. And in it, she, like Cheryl Strait is like very upfront with like, hey, like this is a time where I wasn't a very good person. But but like that, like, but I'm going to tell you and it doesn't matter if you don't like me because I've, I like me. And that's like, that really taught me that the connection and like the, 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 I really appreciated that bravery that comes, that comes with lots of writers who will tell you exactly what they're like and aren't afraid to say like, Hey, like I was 20 and I said something stupid and I did something wrong. And I'm going to tell you right now that that's what happened. And I know that it's wrong now, but I did it. I think that's like such, such a, such an amazing thing to me. It taught me like so much about, about letting myself like exist. I was saying like letting myself be like a three-dimensional flawed person and also accepting that, you know, when you put a book out there, like a piece and someone doesn't like it, like they're not going to like, not everybody is going to like me totally, totally normal part of life. Um, but accepting that, like, well, I still, uh, I've forgiven myself and like, it's okay if you don't like me because I like me. So I really always appreciated Cheryl Strayed for really teaching me that, like that the way that you can, the way that you can present yourself as something that's true, um, that I like trust that the people who really matter will really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I can speak on little weirds because I I don't read very much, so it's really great hearing all these recommendations because <laughs> now I'm gonna have so much more time to like read things. So I'm hoping yeah. I can like you know get a few of these. Um, but yeah, like I picked up little weirds and I've read it like twice since because it's just like it was like a letter to my soul you know like I yeah um, that's how I felt someone said I they said I they seemed like I was destined to be friends with Jenny Slate and I was like queen that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me right and I yeah like I have it on my uh windowsill right now it's like so (laughs) yeah over here it's over there I think (laughs) amazing mine is uh really beat up now because I just like coffee stains and everything but like um yeah, it really just, like, it said something to my soul. Like, I really, I had never experienced that in, like, a movie or a song or, like, a book or anything until I read this. And I think that's really, like, one of my biggest inspirations is, like, you know, because um, it is sort of, like, a letter to her herself um, and, like, yeah. a letter to her younger self. I feel like that's what I write about most these days, like, writing to myself and, like, telling myself the things that I need to hear you know and so that was like such a beautiful example of it and now I want to read it again because I have so good it's so good the the part where uh she talks about the the castle with Karen that's like my favorite thing I Uh, love that part (laughs) yeah and like my favorite part is the dream that she had about the dog on her or like sitting on the lap of a dog oh yeah like getting out of her trench times and so like it's just so it's so beautiful. Um, and it I is. feel like I'm in one of my trench times at the moment. So I think I need to read this again. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. It's one of those things that really shows you that like, that, like the, I, like I was, how I was saying, like starting like a book from like, cause there's a period of my life that I find fascinating to write about. It's between the ages of 20 to 22, 23. Um, and it's like so interesting to see someone write, like to be able to like encompass, like and tell tell like a clear story of like her life and like being in a period where you're really like struggling, but also like to tell it in such a way that she did like where it's like, you know, there's no necessarily plot strung throughout, but you can tell that she's kind of healing from something. Mm-hmm. And I love that, that, that creativity that, and then that like someone like her, like, you know, she's in some ways she, I mean, I don't want to say like to undercut this at all, but like, you know, she's famous and she, she like, but she like opened, I feel like it opens a door for lots of people to do something creative like that. Like you see a lot of genre bending now, which I love. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. She's definitely not the first person to do it. You know, I'm not like an expert on genre bending, but I remember that was like the first, like really, I felt like real widespread thing that I was like, this is truly something amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the way it tells a story of like a time in your life without actually telling the story necessarily. I think yeah. it's so beautiful. Ah the best I want to interview her someday <laughs> maybe someday I'm manifesting you already have uh, oh good I'm, it's you. already I got I wrote it down in my in the university in oh good now, so. I, had a, I had a great time she was the best <laughs> um, we'll talk about it after <laughs> yeah um okay so you sort of touched on like how social media has changed writing a bit 
um, with the commodification of uh, creativity and talent, um, do you think it has become easier for people to get recognized on social media uh, with their work or does it, because there's so many people like using these platforms that it gets a little muddy? I think yes to both. I, yeah. I think one thing that I love about TikTok is that it does, it's the only, I think I'm, I'm not an expert, but it's the only uh, app where you can go viral and it doesn't rely on the followers that you have. Mm-hmm. So your, your timeline is essentially people that you have no, you don't know who they are. So it's really luck of the draw here. Like you, you know, the algorithm can only go so far on TikTok, you know, but you know, it really like pushes it really, I think it's really user-friendly and creator-friendly. It pushes your stuff out to lots of people. And that way you can get a clear idea of what sticks and what doesn't stick. And, you know, and I, and I, I think I'm incredibly lucky. I, um, used astrology and then, um, just like my own, like kind of figuring stuff out to, to work with, uh, the, the trends I was seeing on TikTok. And I think, I, I think like I would never, um, I, I want to acknowledge that there's like luck that goes into it and chance. Cause I 100% was lucky when that, cause like my first viral video was like a mood board that I made. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's like kind of lucky that I am like a, like a, I feel like a good writer. Cause then people kind of saw that too. And they stuck around, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, I, I feel like it would, I would be like remiss if I didn't acknowledge that luck. But I also feel the idea of the muddiness, I think, I think writing poetry is always a little bit kind of fake deep at first. And mm-hmm. that's no disrespect to you know, new writers. I was the exact same way. I'm very lucky that TikTok wasn't around when I was growing up because <laughs> I know my writing would have been on there. Um, luckily, all my tumblers have been deleted, so <laughs> you can't find it on there. But, you know, it's like it's like a very, you know, I was writing the same way that I see people writing on TikTok now. And I think one of the things is you see a lot of of poetry being this aesthetically pleasing poetry rather than really saying anything. It's like repackaged like messages and I struggle with that a little bit because like I said, I would never, my thing is not to like deter people from writing. My thing is the opposite. I want people to write. I want people to grow. I think by having TikTok and Gen Z get into this stuff and like posting their stuff online, it's a springboard. It can be, they can, you know, find, you know, authors they love and, and cause poetry isn't like widely taught really. I feel, I mean, like I love poetry, but I really started learning about it, really learning about it in college. So if you have the opportunity to like be encouraged with this, like going viral on the internet and it makes you want to explore and like express yourself. I think that's amazing. But I think also there's that fine line of like, there's like a money grab to it. There's like a people, you know, they write, they almost write, like I said, they're not really saying anything, but they also write poems. Like they're almost like stand up rather than anything else. Like there's like a punchline at the end. And I feel Mm -hmm. like they kind of want to dupe the audience almost. They want to like, you know, to me, poems are supposed to carry you through. Like you're supposed to like be with the author. It's supposed to be an intimate moment, not like a gotcha moment. Mm-hmm. And so when I see these like things like that kind of have this punchline at the end, it feels no offense, but it feels like cheap to me. Cheap. And I think, like I said, it's a like, I think like, like I said, like I wrote fake deep poetry when I was younger. You know, you don't know what you're doing. You don't, you're not reading a lot of writers. So it's a, it's like a, you know, it's like a great, I feel like a gray area for me. I have like my love and hate for it, but I love the idea that like, because like, I don't want to be like a snob, like a, like a, you know, elder Gen Z snob and be like, Gen Z's that right? Like, <laughs> I guess it certainly was definitely went through my moment, but I think ultimately when I look at this, it's like, you can't trick your audience. They can't, they can't be duped. Like real people who love poetry know when you're giving something that is kind of fake. Mm-hmm. And so, so I hope, um, my hope is that like, uh, publishing companies won't fall trapped to the money grab of it. Not the yeah. people. I think that's really what it is. I don't want to see like more poetry books and urban outfitters that have like these skinny line drawings. It's like, I want people to, <laughs> you know, go through the, you know, the most that, that first cringy period of writing and then to really find their voice. So totally. that's like my long extended answer. <laughs> no, that was a really great answer. I'm like, this is all so good. I'm just so glad that we get to talk. Cause I'm like taking it all in. Um, <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite piece of writing that you would be willing to share right now? Just like part of it or maybe all of it, it doesn't matter. 
one of I'll mine. I'll share my own writing as well. I'll okay, I, that way. <laughs> I have. So you want like like uh, something I wrote? Right? Yeah. Okay, I did pick something out. I don't. I don't think it's too long. It might be too long, but no, I don't think it's nothing's too long. long. Go ahead. Okay, <laughs> just like forty minutes of reading. Um, I talked a little bit about it. Um, I feel like this. I picked this one because I wrote it recently, and I feel like it really kind of captures a little bit about what I was just talking about, like offering complexity. So, um, I uh, and I also talked a little bit about like it. I, or I like thought a little bit about it, and I was looking at the questions. But enough explanation i had a class where you like were literally not allowed to say anything before you read like you couldn't be like by the way guys um cool. blah, blah, blah. like you had to call me immediately <laughs> and then you couldn't say anything afterwards it was it was so hard but yeah. you learned everything. <laughs> so anyways more rambling but uh this is about uh, the, the consequences of objectification essentially so okay i would like it if you missed me even if it was only once just so i knew you could do it where in the middle of the afternoon, walking with no place to go, you saw the ocean on your peripheral and suddenly had this overwhelming sickness in the middle of your chest, not at your heart, but further back behind your lungs along the spine, not a pain that causes you agony, but one that reminds you every so often your life is different from before. And today it doesn't feel for the better. It's a melodramatic desire, one I can't help but have and feel hungry for to know that I can be missed. I can't exactly trace it back too far, but it hasn't been always been here. I noticed it after you left, this strange feeling of being two-dimensional, this feeling of being so non-existent to one person in any real way that it slowly erased me from the world. How I existed only as an extension of you, an example of the bad things you had done. It is lonely here. I've been trying to break that boundary. I want to return somewhere I can't remember, this place where men can miss me to break a threshold where suddenly I'm complex and real, a person with a rich and valuable life that can be enacted on, but also can enact back. I used to feel it would be so easy to teach you this about me, the way girls often have to remind men they have people inside their bodies. I thought it would be simple then. If you could just see me walking down the street, it would hit you. She's here, not just when I'm looking at her. She buys groceries, she finishes books, she has handwriting, fingerprints. I thought if you could really see me, really see me in the flow of life. It would remind you to be gentle, to afford me the same complexity of human condition and con contradiction, where I can love you and be hurt by you, where I could not be with you, but exist beyond you. Do you understand what I mean? When we're not together, I'm feeling, breathing, nurturing, sometimes ravenous, sometimes full of desire for you. I couldn't do it though. I couldn't meet you somewhere, never ran into you. I'm caught in the net of your desire and incapable of existing beyond it. So what now, if I'm not desired by you? I'm lost. Will you remember me? Can you miss me? Will you come back and free me? I know I'm real. Last night I got a call from my friend and she told me she missed me and I believed her. My dad is counting down the days until I am home for the holidays and I believe him. I have a crush on the bartender and he forgot my name because he's so many, he sees so many people, but why should he remember me anyway? I know not every man is like you, but isn't every man just like you? Your presence reverberates no matter how long you've been away. You are not a bad person, but you are not a good person to me. When I realized why I wanted you to miss me, why I wanted you specifically to do it and no one else, there was an extreme guilt settled in my stomach as if I should explain myself. I know I'm real. I know that men see me. I know I can be understood. There is an opening in the net. I can walk out if I find it. I just have to stop holding onto the sides. I have to let go. It feels so self-indulgent to ask you to conf confirm to me I exist for you. That even though I wrote it all down somewhere in some journal, if I lost that journal, it would still have happened. I feel so young and unsure. Maybe you don't remember it all, but you remember it happened, right? Tell me the story of when you knew it wasn't me again. Like I'm a kid, but I'm not a kid. If I waited for you, I'm sure one day, standing in line for tea, a reminder that I have thirst and can be tired, you'd approach me with hello. I existed before this moment and will exist after, but why do I believe it would ignite me? What would this solve besides giving you the same power you have always had to decide when and where I exist? I won't wait. If I start running now, I think I'd exist by morning, find some that boundary and forget where it is so I could never go back. Then find a mirror and look at myself and say, you're seeing you, that is enough. I can't deny the desire for you of what you might confirm, the way it feels easy, but would likely be worse. What could I explain to make this all right? So people know I'm not delusional. He just is, someone once told me. He is there, a part of your life, and thinking of him isn't good or bad. 
what a life I live where you can be in some space for so long that you, that you, that even you cease existing until seen by someone else. I'm real. I thought neither good nor bad to think about if anyone cared to do it. What a life I live where you can go on missing someone for so long, their crimes become yours. And after all this time, no matter what it is they did, their moral standing is eroded away by a desire in you that wails. <laughs> it was kind of long, but. <laughs> no, that was so, so beautiful. Like, that's just, that was, I don't know what else to say. It was beautiful. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Snaps. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, the classic poetry uh, mm-hmm. class. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, now I feel a little silly for sharing mine because it's no, not at all silly. Come on. Remember, no explanations before. No explanations. Okay. Uh, And this one, like, really is like so short, so it's fine. Uh, But uh, I haven't been writing in a while, and then the other day I like wrote this in like ten minutes, and I was like, "Oh, this feels better than it has been." Those are the best, right? Um, Okay, where is it? Uh-oh. <laughs> I believe in you. You'll find it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, God, I'm like, now I'm like, my heart is racing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's just us, me and you. No one else right. is here. No one else. Um, maybe it's not so bad to be alone. Searching for myself and finding a home in the corners of my body might be, might be the ultimate love. I might be... I might not be made of marble, but I deserve to be marveled at. And I wish to be a regular at this museum of mine, to come back time after time and appreciate the artistry of the way I turned out to be, to be tied to myself in such a way I can finally be free. So that's that. <laughs> I love that. The, I, the, the line about going like back to the museum. I think that's such a great, that's such a like that. I feel like for me personally, like I'm someone who loves to go to museums when I'm by myself, like by myself. Yeah. And it's a place I go when I'm lonely and it's like such a connection to be among art. And so the idea that like you could be in a museum and you could connect to yourself, I feel like there's so many ways to connect to yourself. Like museums are like one for me. And so like that really resonated, like the idea that like connecting to yourself just, just as you are when you're by yourself, but also like seeing yourself as a museum, I think is such a beautiful image. Oh, thank you. Of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so I think it could be fun now to transition into like a little bit of a writing workshop, like a little writing activity. Um, (laughs) So you've brought a little like few minute exercise for us to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I was like studying poetry, my professor gave this, uh, this, this uh, exercise, which is one of my favorites. Um, I feel like a, a poem that I wrote that I really loved came out of it. Um, which I couldn't find. So that's life. Uh, but it's basically, uh, you write a moment, um, in your life where you're, you imagine it happening differently and it doesn't necessarily have to be like the way you wanted it to happen, excuse me, but it's, um, essentially like using your med, sorry, I'm like burping Jesus, (laughs) uh, the water, you know, but, uh, uh, you're essentially trying to, uh, I think sometimes I struggle to like think outside the box with imagination. And this was like a really fun way, I think, to like your brain where you don't have, cause I write obviously, as I said, you can write a poem. that's not necessarily what's true. Uh, like, or what, what, where happened like moment by moment. So that's a really fun one that I really like. So I thought we could do that one. Okay. Um, do we want to make how many, uh, minutes should we do? You can do like I feel like most times like two or five between two or five minutes you know okay. whatever yeah let me um set a pens at the ready <laughs> all right now share uh that was great <laughs> okay let's do uh four minutes perfect right in yeah. the middle all right we're not really right in the middle but you know yeah, but yeah we'll get there <laughs>
Oh, that's time. Dang, that was quick. That was quick. I was riding like the wind. <laughs> um, okay. Should we share? <laughs> what do you think? I think so. I think that'd be fun. Okay. Do you want to go first? You can go first because I went first last time. Okay. Um, so for context, my roommate, my freshman year was very mean to me. And so, and I didn't say- I see her on the streets. <laughs> right. Um, um, but, okay. Cause it, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I knew you were wrong and didn't say anything. Who am I to question someone who knows me so well? And when I turned to the wall with grinding teeth, I went to bed as a version of myself you did not get to see. I kept my mouth shut until it ached the next morning. If I said something, the image you have- the image you have of me would shatter. I would not have been the easygoing, quiet roommate. And I think that's why I didn't say anything. The shattered image you would have had of me would break into my own eyes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that because I also kind of wrote something similar about like that image that people have of you or like that's yeah. what I was thinking about. Like that's such a, it's like, I feel like half the time you like think back on like what you would do differently or like, imagining it different. Like I would be the version of myself that I am right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, um, you go now. That's it's right. Cool. <laughs> I wrote, like I said, I wrote something similar, kind of a similar situation, but um, it was about last Christmas or not last Christmas. Definitely not last Christmas. <laughs> it was like three Christmases ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, sitting with you back with your back to me, the dim light of your room couldn't reach us through the lights below from though the lights below from Broadway or some other more forgotten street came in to meet the side of your face in a moment uh, in the dark, you'll kiss me. But what if I kissed you? What if we let me have desire and agency or better? What if I went home as proof too? I could not want to be with you or around you. I could actually long to be home in a bed that waits for me. I think about this often. What if instead of all those times I couldn't be me, I decided to be her anyway? What if I knew love wasn't so scarce? What if I left to a cloudy lit Broadway? Um, wait, what if I, <laughs> that, oh, that if I left to a, a cloudy lit Broadway, love would be waiting for me, 
waiting to pull me in, I believe. Ah, that's beautiful. I just don't, I, I don't know what else to say. Like you're right. <laughs> <it's so gorgeous. laughs> Thank you. Um, um, so I hope whoever is listening will do that writing exercise too. Cause that was really fun for me. Tag us on Instagram. <laughs> yes. That would be great. You know what? Let's do, I'll, I'll make something of that. And we'll, we'll tag. Um, Amazing. but, um, yeah. And just a few, just a few more like general questions. And then we're going to go into the final section of the episode for tips for beginning your writing hobby and passion. Um, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> um, after the commercial break. Um, no, <laughs> do you, uh, okay. Oh, uh, how do you avoid burnout when writing, especially when you have it like, you know, as your day-to-day activity <laughs> yeah. and job? I think, I think sometimes, uh, like social media, like as much as I try to do like this feel, uh, feel, I feel like my social media presence is authentic, um, which probably sounds like rich kind of like coming from someone who's like on social media, you know, but I really do try to present like, cause I think that's what makes people want to agree. My writing is I have this, you know, person who's like interesting and real, like, it's not like a shock when you read my writing, I feel, but, um, but that's just me. But anyways, um, and I think part of the, one of the illusions though, that I feed into is that like, I'm constantly creating, which in some ways is true, but it's not necessarily this. It's not like I'm constantly creating final pieces. I'm usually sharing work, uh, at different periods of, of like editing. Like I, what I read today, I shared, um, one piece of it on Instagram when it was a paragraph and then I reworked it, um, into like almost a thousand words. So like, and then I shared another piece of that thousand words on Instagram, like the next day. So, you know, like you can kind of see like the trend of my writing and you can maybe figure out like what's coming from what, but I think, like I said, like it's a lo- it's an illusion. Like I, I'm not really, you know, constantly coming up with these like amazing final drafts and sharing them on Instagram. Um, and I think burnout is, is like in part an internal pressure, especially as a creator to, and when it's your livelihood as like a freelance writer, like there's this pressure of like, I have to do this. Like I need to make money. I need to, I make stuff. Sometimes put our work is like being of producing. Um, and I try to relieve that pressure by saying sometimes, you know what, like today I'm not going to write. And that's totally fine. And I think the, sometimes I'll feel that pressure of like, I have to write, I have to write. But the moment I give myself permission not to write, I feel such a wave of relief. Mm-hmm. And it takes practice because you essentially kind of feel guilty for not doing that. But after a while, I've learned that like, you know, I can't write good pieces if I am experiencing burnout. So I try to like, when you feel that like pressure of like that building looming feeling of like, I have to be producing and you just, for some reason, it's just not coming out. That's when I'm like, all right, I need a break. I think it's my body telling me, you know, this is your time to like go out and experience. Like, I think something that people don't talk a lot about is that when you do write something down, like an experience you have, like that experience becomes a piece of art. So like when I look back on things that I've written about, I see them as the pieces I've written, not as memories. Mm -hmm. So when I experience burnout, I always feel like it's my body telling me like, you need to go, you know, out into the world and have experiences and, and gain perspective and have memories that are just yours to have. Mm-hmm. So that like rejuvenation that comes with like living your life is I think a really great way to avoid burnout. And I also, I think it's hard when you're a freelance, but you have to, you do have to treat it like a job. Like I, on the weekends, like if I do write great, but if I don't write, it's the weekend. So I, I don't necessarily have like normal work hours, but I definitely give myself space to be like off duty essentially. Mm-hmm. So I think you just have to like, really like listen to yourself and find that, like, you know, that, that balance. And, and I know I, I had like one time, like a teacher tell me, um, you know, you know, if you don't like, I, I think it's like, like I say, I think, you know, it's hard when like, it's your livelihood and like, you have like a deadline, um, and you want to like, know and you want to like do it. But I had a teacher tell me one time that I always kind of stuck with me was that, um, uh, if you already know the ending to your story, it's already too late to write it. So she's kind of saying essentially, you know, this unknown aspect of writing is like often a very beautiful avenue to go down. So when you're experiencing burnout and you have that feeling of unknown, 
take a break and like, really like let yourself be in that period of like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I trust that I'm going to get my pizza. in if I take a break and really, um, you know, nourish myself, then I will be able to explore the unknown with a much clearer head and a different perspective. And I'm going to get it done. Um, I think people, I feel like sometimes I used to confuse like my work ethic in school to be my work ethic outside of school, but I mean, I've never missed a deadline. Or like, I, I think I was once an hour late, but it was my friend and she was very nice about it. Um, but, you know, essentially like, you know, like you're going to, if it's something that you love to do, you're going to get it done. And I think like you have to trust yourself and you have to have a lot of trust in that. And so they sing like that burnout is often like a balancing act of like trusting that you can get the work done. And then that moment you need to like really push yourself. So finding that balance is difficult, but it takes practice and you'll figure it out essentially. Um, and you'll be able to like, kind of pick up on those cues that you're feeling, but yeah, I would say really listen to your like mental state and your body to avoid burnout. Nice. I also (laughs) needed to hear that today because I'm like, I'm definitely feeling burnt out with school in general. And I feel like that advice is definitely applicable to like a bunch of different experiences. Yeah. When I was in school, I used to like I used to like, you'd stay up all night writing and it would like be the worst paper ever. And I'm like, I know that if I go to sleep and like wake up early, like, and like, like I'd write like something like really bad. And like, then I'd try to reread it. I'm like, I know that if I reread this in the morning, it'll be infinitely better if I get sleep and reread it than if I try to like finish it now. So I I've taken that outside aspect into my writing, but definitely something I like in school that I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, do you have any advice for people starting out in freelance work? Like how do people like dip their toes in or do they just go for it? Like, what is your advice for people? I think, I think for me, I, I think that a really important thing is you have to, I think a successful freelancer has boundaries. I know like I'm friends with a lot of artists who aren't necessarily writers. I have like a lot of photography friends and like, uh, like people who write music or whatever. And there's this feeling of like, uh, like, especially when you're starting out, like you kind of got to take every opportunity you can get, but I would highly recommend you don't do that. Like, (laughs) I think like you have to like have conviction and say like this is not worth my time and my effort um and I think it takes a lot like I said before like there's this trust that you have to have and like you have to trust it like and and I'm speaking from a place admittedly a place of privilege like I am uh I do writing as like as well I'm freelance I also do it as, as a side job so I'm able to support myself and then come home and write or like you know decide that I'm not going to take a job um but I think I think uh like one of the like the amazing thing is like when you're freelance is like you, you get to really develop your style and you get to like work with people who inspire you. Like you're allowed to say no. And like, I, like I said, I do a lot of free stuff, but I, 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 I very carefully pick the free stuff to work with people who I feel will really respect my work and really like, and it's like kind of like finding your work at home. Like it's like your child, like you're working on it for a long time. It's a piece of you. And then you, you know, are trying to find the best place for it. And so freelance can be so rewarding because you have so much control or you can have a lot of control in that aspect. And especially like when you're like, when I'm starting off, like I said, I'm, I'm working with people for free. I do a lot of free stuff, but I feel like I'm able to discern like who values my time and effort, even if they can't pay me and people who are kind of like, you know, not necessarily inspiring to work, but I'm not excited. Like I had, um, I had like a, I had like a two week long period where I was emailing back and forth with this woman who, what I was essentially going to be volunteering for her publication for a monthly article. And it was just every time we made a time to, she would like be like, Oh, I actually can't do it. And it's like, eventually that, that was just a sign for me. Like as much as I would love to get my voice out there to like, I think they had like 40,000 followers or something, as much as that exposure would be amazing. I'm doing this for free and you're, this is not a good sign. So, right. so I think like you really have to understand that your writing is very, very valuable and beautiful. And although maybe you won't be able to get monetary things back in the beginning, um, it deserves to be, it deserves a level of respect and like saying that boundary is important. And I think also it, I think it's really important that like my biggest advice is to, I think, give yourself time and enjoy where you are because there was a point where I wanted to be here so bad and I can really quickly get swept up in the feeling of like I really wish I had more bylines I really wish I had more you know I was getting paid more or whatever like 
it's obviously like you want to like have a feeling of like there's something you're working towards but it's also like really like as hard as it is like I try to have moments where I'm really grateful and like I can say like people read like like I'm at a point where people are reaching out to me to like work together like that's an amazing feeling and I I mean like a year ago I would have killed for that and now I'm here and I'm like okay like whatever. And I I can enjoy this. I can like, as though it's a little bit uncertain, I trust that it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. And I think, like I said, work with people who inspire you and make you excited. And also this is kind of hypocritical for me to say, because I haven't done this quite yet, (laughs) but pitch your ideas to people. I mean, like, like I said, rejection is like normal and it's not really about your skill set. Um, but you can learn how to pitch. Like there's a lot of free courses to learn how to pitch articles to editors and editors are always like sending out pitches, like on Twitter, like whatever. I always see the call for submission, but I think like editors want to hear from you. So if you really want to do it, you can do it right now. Like, I think people have this idea that you have to be graduated or whatever to like get to the point where I am. But like, I started doing this like way before I graduated. Mm -hmm. So like, you can do it like right this very minute. Like, it's not like, you know, becoming a lawyer where you get a certificate or whatever, like take the bar. Like you can, like, it's very likely that you're talented enough to get something published right now. Like, I think school adds a certain level of experience of like editing, like you learn a lot of stuff or, I mean, people learn, a lot of different ways with creative writing and stuff. Like you learn from reading, you learn from, you know, and I don't think college is the only way to learn essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically I was just like, my, I, my, my thing is like, you should just go for it. You know, yeah. you should, you should do it. It's, it's, I mean, at first, like maybe do it as like a side thing. Like I'm doing as a side thing right now, more than, more than making money off of it. But it's like something that I really enjoy doing. And if it's what you really want to do, like I've, I would say there's always this like invisible threshold. I think you have like being older or being more like I was, I was always afraid. Like, I know, like I've had like people who are older than me kind of like laugh at me because I'm like so young and writing nonfiction, but like, you don't have, there's no requirement. You can just do it. So that's like my big thing. I, I always wish people would write, like would, would, would write sooner because I think they have this fear or something that they have to do something in order to be qualified as a writer, but you can do it right now. Amazing. Well, I gotta go. I gotta go pitch. Mm. <laughs> pitch me right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then lastly, do you have like a roundup of like five tips for beginning this sort of writing um, path? Yes. It kind of speaks to what I was just saying, but don't wait. I think like, you're old enough. There's not perfect place to begin. And there's kind of like, you're never going to actually feel ready. I took a class with uh, like the median and then wait, what's the one that means average. Okay. I'm just gonna say average, the average age. I was like thinking of like median mode, whatever, um, uh, mean and, uh, too technical. I'm clearly not <laughs> someone who does math, but, um, the average age was like, uh, I wouldn't say 50 and every single person in there was like, I don't feel old enough to write. So just a heads up. Like if you're waiting to feel old enough, you're going to be waiting a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also important to, uh, or my second tip is write about what's interesting and important to you. Because if you try to write like topics that maybe aren't your thing, but you like, cause I think sometimes we feel stupid. Like I love writing about love, but like, I feel cliche. Like I'm a, Oh, I'm a, you know, Connecticut moved to New York and now I write about love, like so cliche, but that's what interests me. It's what it makes me exciting. And if you're excited about the topic. There's going to be other people who feel the same and they're going to be excited. And I've also read amazing stories about insurance, believe it or not. I know a guy who talked about uh, impounding cars and insurance, and it was the most interesting thing I've ever read in my whole life. Yeah. And uh, my third tip is um, definitely have pieces that are just for you. Like you don't have to give everything away. And I think that's very important. I had a teacher say like, you're allowed to say no to writing about trauma or writing about like, or, you know, publishing pieces that you like, maybe you wrote and you like it, but if you want to keep that, let that be just yours. I think it's important to have certain, like I had this whole journal, like I would never publish anything in that stuff that mm-hmm. I absolutely love stuff. That's like definitely mediocre, but like, it's mine and I take ownership of it and I don't want it going anywhere and it's mine. And that's a very powerful feeling. Um, I think the fourth thing is read the genre that you like to write. That's a very crucial thing, which kind of goes back to the like fake poetry you kind of see on, on the internet. Sometimes it's important to, I think that's very, that's like I, like I said, I don't think you need college necessarily to learn, but you do have to do some, you do have to learn in some aspects to grow. You have to read. Um, And that's really what college gives you like the heads up of like, it gives you, it exposes you to a lot of writers and in your genre. 
And then my fifth tip um, is if this is like a beginning thing for you, let it be fun and freeing. Like writing is work in some sense. Like if when like people always are like, writing is work, writing is work, it's not, you know, whatever. We get to that point and it's 100% true. Sometimes it's excruciating, but at the end of the day, for me, it's like, there's so much that I love about it, that the work, although it's work, it's also something that's like very deeply fulfilling for me. And so if you get to a point where you kind of resent it because you're like just trying to make money or trying to like be amazing at it, it, it like you lose that, like that passion for it. And it just, it, it affects your writing. So my fifth most important tip is to let writing be freeing and fun. Amazing. That's great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. Um, well, that's all the questions that I have. I think we like went through it. Do you want to finish this episode with anything? Hmm, I gotta get a moment of wisdom. I'm trying <laughs> to think. I'm like, um, uh, see, like I'm actually super not very good at like, like I'm like I feel like I, this is just proof to people that I'm like super not good at talking in real life. <laughs> like I can edit a piece like for a long time, and then like it sounds like I'm like very smart, but in reality, I don't know. but um, I hope that I think like my biggest hope is that this will like allow people to like I think sometimes we like we deny ourselves pleasure and fun and I hope this is just like a a way to open up the beginning of like letting yourself be mediocre and having the best time with it I mean like I said like I love reading I I was telling you I'm reading a book about birds right now but I also like I said just read a novel about uh, that was super erotic with a ghost in it and (laughs) it was the most fun I've ever had in my whole life so you gotta let yourself have fun and if writing is your fun thing to do then do it and do it badly or you know just have fun (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, and thank you to everyone who listened. Uh, I'll see you for the next episode. I think I'll finally publish my episode about uh, going to therapy. Um, so that- I love that. Yeah. My therapist um, is my soulmate. What? <laughs> so my therapist is definitely my soulmate. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Of course.